Hi, this is Pooja Patel, the editor-in-chief of Pitchfork and the host of the Pitchfork Review. We're excited to be back in the studio, and we'll have a brand new episode of the show for you next week. In the meantime, we thought we'd revisit Beyonce's Renaissance, an album that topped our year-end list and has made for one of the biggest tours of the summer. On the episode, Jeremy and Julianne join me to talk about what makes this icon's celebration of club music really hit. Keep listening to hear more, and if you're not already, make sure to follow the Pitchfork Review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you again soon. So joining us now is Julianne Escobedo-Shepard. Hi, Julianne. Hello. Thank you for having me on this illustrious podcast. Jeremy, I also apologize to you because Julianne and I have talked about this album and listened to it (laughs) together and separately for approximately like one week worth of time in total (laughs) because we've spent so much hours doing that. So welcome into our chaotic fold. Um, I love it. (laughs) I'll get a word in edgewise one of these times, but no, I want to, I want to clear the deck, like clear the decks. I want to, I want to hear it. (laughs) Juliana, I kind of wanted to start real quick with the title, right? Like what does the word Renaissance mean in Beyonce's world and in the world of this album? I mean, for me, I think that Beyonce hadn't released an album in a really long time, at least like a solo album. And I think that she saw herself coming into a personal renaissance. I also I'm always going to sort of as like an aging woman, (laughs) I'm always going to connect women's sort of aging process to their artistic process. And I think Mm -hmm. when you turn 40, it's just like, oh, right, all the things that I felt weird about before have been erased. So I think that she's really come into a different era of her life. And I think it refers to that. And then I think like Renaissance, it was like post-pandemic, like let's get people outside. Let's like remind ourselves what it is to be celebratory and alive. I feel like also when you're talking about, as Julianne wrote in her review, the larger project of Beyonce, It feels like her most recent albums have been very, very purposeful about kind of the archiving and the excavation of Black music and culture and making that mainstream. And in this project, also queer Black culture and queer, like, Latin culture and trans culture and, like, There is a lot of excavation that is being put forth to the mainstream in a celebratory way. And... I feel like that is, you know, the other subtext of Renaissance. Tell me if I'm being overwrought in your mind. (laughs) I mean, I obviously agree with you (laughs) (laughs) on that. I mean, you know, she has really, really pointedly and really sort of meticulously, I think, for the last several years been very much about giving credit where credit's due. And I think a lot of that is looking at the sort of arc of popular music history and seeing a lot of Black musicians and artists not getting the recognition and, in a lot of cases, monetary (laughs) compensation. Mm -hmm. And I think that she sees herself as a steward and as a person whose focus is to try in whatever way she can to remedy that while making a lot of money doing that well yeah let's like (laughs) yeah (laughs) let's not (laughs) who is this album for and is this sort of 
a more exclusive audience, a different audience than who she's been like writing music for in the past. I think it's very specific that, you know, she's writing this music for Black women and Black queer people. And I kind of wonder, too, if it's just partly as she's become more and more able to take control of her entire career, that she has been more able to really focus on, I am celebrating Black women and Black queer people and Black people overall without the meddling of the nebulous label guys who are like, no, you must make this song so we can play it in a Claire's or whatever, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So let's say the second song on the album, Cozy, there's a lot of theories about how she kind of charts out the colors of the rainbow that then correspond to um, various pride flags. What? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Wait, what? Oh my gosh, yeah. Jeremy. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm here. Me, let me, no, th- this tell is me about so this, exciting. This, tell me about this theory. I don't know. What, what is yeah. this? Here are the lines. Black like love too deep. Dance to the soles of my feet. Green eyes envy me. Paint the world pussy pink. Blue like the soul I crowned. Purple drink and contour gowns. Ball fangs and shade by me. Blue, black, white, and brown. Paint the town red like cinnamon. Yellow diamonds, lemon, cello, so that that kind of paints a pride flag not just a pride flag but the transgender pride flag and Mm -hmm. the black and brown transgender pride flags and the song is co-produced by honey dijon who is a trans musician and the line that is like kind of the I don't know, the like nonchalant write-off is like, please don't fuck with my sis. She's comfortable. And I mean, that to me is just like a very clear statement about who she's speaking to yes. in that song. And then with the rest of the album, I mean, it it kind of charts the path for the rest of the album. I agree. Like, And I think I wrote this in my review that it really feels like, you know, she stepped out in that big like moment where she had the feminist sign behind her, right? Mm -hmm. And we're in a time where trans people, particularly black and brown trans people, are increasingly vilified. She it's like she's taking that idea of feminism and making sure that everyone knows that she sees an intersectional inclusive version of feminism and that she is not going to leave trans women in the cold like so many people are. And I think that's really, really crucial and important, especially in 2022 when there's so much legislation and so much like quasi-feminist hatred towards trans women in particular. I want to read a quote because I think we're getting at something that I, I want to talk about, which is the message of this album. And this is a quote from... Beyonce's interview with Harper's Bazaar from last year, which is, I think, like maybe the only press, quote unquote, press interview Mm -hmm. that she did. A pre approved. She read it all. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was clearly like typed out and edited (laughs) several times. Um, But but she did say this. She said, like, I'm grateful I have the ability to choose what I want to share. One day I decided I wanted to be like Sade and Prince. I wanted the focus to be on my music because if my art isn't strong enough or meaningful enough to keep people interested and inspired, then I'm in the wrong business. My music, my films, my art, my message, that should be enough. And I wonder if this album is 
enough? Is this doing what she says it should be doing without having to sort of like pepper it with other messages and um, as like we haven't really had a ton of visuals from this album? What do you think about that? So the day after the album came out, I went to a kind of mixed genre, mixed format DJ night in Brooklyn called The Rub. And DJ Momo was playing, who is now really well known for a huge party called Everyday People. And it's like specifically oriented towards like black music, funk, soul, rap, R&B, Afrobeats. And literally... Everyone was waiting for the Beyonce songs, and I don't mean Break My Soul. They meant, like, Alien Superstar, Pure Honey, Cozy, Cuff It. Everyone was waiting for a different favorite from the album. (laughs) And there was a group of queer, like, voguers there who were literally just yelling to the DJ, Alien Superstar, Pure Honey, America Has a Problem. Like, and the second it landed, they were voguing. So to me, that is doing like it did work right um yeah i mean you know immediately when break my soul came out even some of the biggest voguers in the u.s were doing you know tiktoks instagrams to it and i think it has longevity i mean as far as like the ballroom scene or ballroom community or communities i know just off the top of my head there's a remix of Break My Soul with Kevin Jay-Z Prodigy, who has is sampled on Pure Honey, is a longtime ballroom commentator, which is to say the person who sort of MCs Vogue balls. There's a really good video that the House of Juicy Couture did to that song. The House of Juicy Couture is a kiki house, which is sort of a younger Vogue house that, spoiler alert, won season three of HBO's voguing show Legendary. And the video that they did on their Instagram is really, really good. There's a lot of sort of coming together of, you know, she's not just shouting people out or employing people as producers. She's bringing people into the fold um, visually and then also people in the ballroom scene and ballroom communities are continually reacting and posting videos and dancing to this album. Can I ask a quick just like foundational question here? Obviously, as soon as this came out, we were like, this is a ballroom album or like there are very clear sets of this that are influenced by the ballroom scene or by Vogue. Can you explain what we mean by that? Yeah. So the ball community basically arose out of a need for Black and brown queer and trans communities in first Harlem and then throughout New York City and now the world of the need to have safe spaces in order to truly like show out at the club. So that's been going on for decades. And now over the last like probably 15 years, there has been a specific sound of Ballroom, which is based on Masters at Work's The Ha Dance, which basically was and has been a sort of foundational song for Vogers since the 90s. And then its newest iteration 
is basically a sped up sample of the ha, which is the sample in the song The Ha Dance, over like basically house. Did that make sense? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But you know, there's more to this album than just ballroom music. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot, there's sort of like the other, I don't know, 60, maybe 70% of it is really like uh, more of your classic Beyonce, like I love my husband music. Um, uh, so how, how, do, how do the other, how does sort of like the other half of this record like work for you, especially sort of in the later half, kind of after Virgo's Groove, between Virgo's Groove and Pure Honey, there's sort of a lot of loving my babe music. Uh, how does that work for you guys? Loving my babe music. That's what it's called, you know? It's the official genre of Beyonce, uh, subgenre of Beyonce's of is loving my babe music. Uh. <laughs> Except for like, I I love that the church girl line that's like, it must be the cash because it ain't your face. Yeah, I hope that's, that's about Jay Z. Must be the cash because it ain't your face. It must be the cash because it ain't your face. So, I think that in general, all of this is dance music. It's just different mm-hmm. types of dance music. Mm-hmm. You know, there's obviously house, there's soul, there's like tech house, there's funk, there's 70s R&B, there's 70s disco, there's roller rink disco, Miami bass, bounce, Afro beats. And like, even when she's loving on her babe, (laughs) she's still in the club. (laughs) And I think that's what makes it such a great album because she did dedicate Renaissance essentially to the experience of the club and like knowing that not everyone goes to the same types of clubs. It just really shows a breadth of what she's able to do, what she's interested in. And I think it's like kind of encyclopedic. And obviously that has a lot to do as well with her <laughs> 11 million contributors but i just do think that it sort of encompasses so much and even like on the love on my babe thing she's expressing um <laughs> a, a sort of freedom in her own sexuality and desire and agency that feels so much like yeah beyonce is 40 damn it <laughs> but again you know i'm like really into like women being able to be 40 and over and be sexual and not thought of as like shriveled old hags. So I also think it's really smart that literally at the beginning of this album in Alien Superstar, she says like, do not be alarmed. Do not attempt to leave the dance floor. The DJ is troubleshooting the whole system, which sets the tone, right? It says like, this is a DJ set. You're going to get a little bit of everything. Don't leave the dance floor. The flags are not flags. It's just a little bit of a break. (laughs) Yeah. And also troubleshooting the whole system. Is there a larger meaning? Maybe. (laughs) 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 We haven't talked about like the sequencing of this album, but I think that's one thing that makes me want to come back to it over and over again. Like it's so easy to just hit play and let it rock, you know, for for 
45 minutes to an hour because of the way it's sequenced like a dance mix. Remember when Break My Soul came out and we were all just kind of like, what is going on here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, what is this? And it kind of sparked a lot of fear in all of us about what she was going to do. But then in context of the record, the way that the song right before it, Energy, goes into Break My Soul, you're like, oh, this makes perfect sense. And I'm here for it. And let me throw my body to the wind. And then right after that comes the I'm at church, right? Like, you won't break my soul. Now I'm at church. Here's my church song. It's really, really smart. Uh, Yeah, so we've been talking from our 30,000-foot crow's nest up here. um, But (laughs) after the break, we're going to drill down into some of our favorite songs, maybe some of our least favorite moments. We'll be right back. Okay, so we're back. I wanted to ask you guys... What is your favorite moment on this record? I have many favorite moments, and my favorite songs have sort of rotated depending on my mood. But the songs that I keep going back to are Heated, which Drake co-wrote Heated, and Beyonce took Drake's sentiment and made it feasible and I love (laughs) that song and then the other thing is at the end of Heated Beyonce is just commentating as one would commentate at a Vogue ball and Mm -hmm. the way that she ate that to me is really remarkable At times, like the way that she's growling, it doesn't even, I'm like, I wrote this in my review, but it doesn't even really sound like Beyonce because she's just eating it. And I love (laughs) that. And then also, Pooja will disagree with me on this one, but I really love America Has a Problem. I only don't like the opening of it. The part where they say America has a problem? Oh. <laughs> the sample. Well, the problem is crack cocaine <laughs> based mm-hmm. on the sample, mm-hmm. but then Beyonce turns around and basically is like, oh, yeah, actually, the problem is me. I'm the problem. And oh. she is. Yes. I love the sort of like Miami based heat of that and the way mm-hmm. that she raps as though it is 1988 really does it for me on that. I love the little orchestra hits in America has a problem. They're so like goofy. They're like, brum, 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 brum. like <laughs> it is. It's just like a really like silly moment on a record that the production is oftentimes like very sort of murky and dark and serious and futuristic and alien in, in a way. 
it's camp. I mean, like yeah. that's yeah. what's no, so sure. great about this record is that there's so much about it that is camp, yeah. right? And I'm I'm in the same boat as you, Julianne, where there are so many just small call-outs from different songs that it can really quickly rotate which one is the one I want to listen to. I will say, like, something about Beyonce is that she can make a line a kind of call to action or a rallying cry or a meme just by her saying it. I, I think about Alien Superstar, which is easily one of my favorites, um, where she's like, bitch, I'm the bar. Mm-hmm. And it's just saying, like, every weirdo, you are the highest in class. You are best yeah. in class. You're a 10. Unique. That's what you are. Stilettos kicking vintage crystal off the bar. Category. Bad bitch. I'm the bar. Alien mm-hmm. superstar. Whip. And that like must be the ca- <laughs> must be the cash because it ain't the face is like coming from Beyonce, an incredible line on Church Girl, and I just feel like there's so many of those one-off lines that only she can make and have it land. I'm gonna offer a slight dissent, which mm. is that I don't think there are as many of those lines on this record as there are on previous records. I kind sure. Of, yeah. I I kind of feel like this one is sort of lacking like a line that you can really kind of grab onto and be like, oh wow, she's like kind of like on a next level, like lyrically. But I kind of think it's also sort of in service of what you're saying is that this record is so much about I, I don't I'm going to try to use my words better than just saying like a vibe, but um <laughs> but what this record does really well is adopt like the perfect attitude for the perfect amount of time Mm. to me like this record is less about the things that i think about in music of like you know production and and orchestration and vocal runs and whatever but it's like the attitude that is present on this record is so perfect like from front to back that even you know puja you talked about those lines and even like i think about a line like because the karens just turned into terrorists which i'm like yikes uh when i hear it it's still a sort of all a part of this piece that she's bringing to it. I mean, I I feel like that's a, when you're saying like this is about the vibe over like production or vocal runs or something else. I feel like that I will dissent there because mm-hmm. if anything, I feel like she's done it all. I feel like Virgo's groove is Beyonce proving that she's still Beyonce, right? So she's like doing the runs. She's doing a ballad. She's doing a love song in like a funk style or like an R&B, a throwback R&B style. But I feel like if anything, she proves that she can do every type of production and every type of vocal manipulation. So my critic brain is saying like, how smart of her to do all of that and still have this like propulsion through it all. Totally. And my critic brain is like, what if you did a little less? But uh-huh. <laughs> but that's what if you did a little me. less with that Donna Summer song? Because you have nothing to prove. Right. Julianne, I think you and I agree that that is something that we just we need to go away. So I, I also am going to dissent on the, the too much. Like, I, I really would like to hear 
an acapella version of the entire album because I do think there's a lot going on with the production. And as a production nerd, this pleases me to no end. And and I do think that there's so many layers and so many genres even. Like the first song, it's like you've got Kalman Duran, who's like experimental Dembo, you know? But I do mm. think that her vocals might be better than they have been because of that sort of willingness to experiment. And because also it is no secret that I'm like not a big fan of ballads and there isn't much in the way of that here. (laughs) Yeah. I'm calling Virgo's Groot a ballad, but it's not. (laughs) I know it's not a ballad, but it's, it, it's like the perfect mid tempo, like disco-y R&B place that's like the lowest bpm i ever want to get to (laughs) Um, that's all your all your body will handle (laughs) yeah my my bpms lower than like 125 i die Um, (laughs) but summer renaissance i see what she's getting at and she wanted to pay homage to jana summer and she wanted to put her own twist on it but like there are certain parts of it just that just feel a bit like Beyonce karaoke and like you said like Mm -hmm. she doesn't need to prove to us that she can do that it felt a little Yeah, unnecessary to me. It also, it felt forced to me because also if if she had done Beyonce karaoke, that would have been great. Yeah. (laughs) I'll take her, I'll take her cover. But I do feel like it felt like a forced kind of reimagination of a perfect song by someone who had created something that was like so innovative otherwise mm-hmm. like there are there are some people who criticize this is that beyonce sort of encroaching upon territory that perhaps she doesn't have a ton of experience with i know Pooja, you were telling me when do you think the last time beyonce actually went to a club just like <laughs> ballpark you know and, and i'm not blaming her because i don't she couldn't go to a club because it would everybody would mop her i mean she, she literally can't right you know do you feel that Beyonce as a heterosexual millionaire making this music for this marginalized community. Is there any tension that is unresolved at this point? I mean, certainly there's tension there. I do think she was very purposeful about in the rollout for this album, mentioning that it was influenced largely or in part by her uncle Johnny, who was part of that community. But yeah, I mean, I think with every contemporary Beyonce project, it's been a reflection of where she is in her life. And that, Mm -hmm. as someone who is so inaccessible, no one has any kind of like intimate knowledge of her day to day. No one really knows anything about her except for what she presents to us through a very, very, very strict PR team. So whenever she releases a project like this, it does feel like to fans like access to her I think that's why, you know, drunken love and all of that kind of cleared up some of the gossip around her relationship. And I feel like... And then Lemonade reignited all of that gossip. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right, right. And Lemonade was a reflection on that, too. You know, it's like, this is my only way to talk about my life is through my music. 
So when she releases a record like this, which is about community, which is about marginalized dance community, (laughs) and which takes place solely in a place where she would never be able to exist and not because she's not allowed in that space, but rather, like you said, because she like is just too famous for words. It feels a way for sure. Right. And I jokingly tweeted when Break My Soul came out that Beyonce recognized that it was like the summer of the labor movement, the summer of pride and trans activism and the summer of dance music. And that tweet went viral because everyone had an issue with it. (laughs) It was like half of the people who shared it or engaged with it were like, yes, our queen did that. She is supporting the people. She is reading the room. She understands the politics of now. She reads, right? The other half were like, how dare this woman put out a, a pride anthem? You know, how dare this woman put out an album saying quit your job when she hasn't worked a day in her life? That is problematic in itself. Like, this is work. What she does every day is work. Mm. So I think that it is fair to be critical of that. But, I mean, as Julianne has pointed out, and Shep, I would love you to weigh in here. Like, she's really purposeful about the people she surrounds herself with. Yeah. And it's almost like it's a reflection of that as much as it is anything else. When you're a pop star or any kind of artist as big as Beyonce, globally, you are a blank slate for whoever is regarding you. They're going to project whatever they want onto you. And so mm-hmm. all of us could be wrong. And I think that actually, like, the polarized reaction to your tweet, Pooja, sort of illustrates that. But the people that she surrounds herself with are, you know, her art director introduced her to Honey Dijon, for instance. And she has a lot of people who she works with who are part of queer and ballroom adjacent communities. She had DJ Nita of the Carrie Nation remix Break My Soul, like, mm-hmm. as well as Honey Dijon. So I think that that definitely says something. I saw Big Frida play in New York about a month after the album was released. And she was basically like on the verge of tears before she performed the song, Break My Soul. And she basically was like, you don't understand that this song has kept people paid and sheltered because they're credited and I am now able to pay other people. And I mean, there is also like the influence of recognizing that this community is making all of pop music. Yes. Right. Yeah. I do want to say Beyonce Renaissance Act One. What is Act <laughs> Two? She said in the in the announcement that this was a three act thing. We have no idea at this point what Act Two or Act Three is. Act two better be some visuals because if not, the people are gonna riot. But <laughs> I don't I actually don't think Act two will be the visuals. I think she's going to do more genre exploration. I think the fact that she did a dance-focused album means that Act two and Act three are going to be other types of musics. I want Act two to be a country record. Wow. But like a, a southern country record. And I want Act three to be a gospel or soul album. Yep. I see this being a, like, reclamation of, like, alt-black culture through genre. 
I wanted to get you sort of like your lasting impression of this record, like in her catalog, where do you rank this record? I, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to say it. I think this is her best album. I, whoa, yeah, I know. It is. the fact that it has had a hold on culture to this degree all of her albums do, but this feels different mm. to me. And it feels like it's partly timing because it's just like exactly what we needed after the past two years of the pandemic and everything that's going on in the world. And everyone I know is like just existentially depressed. And this is like a respite for it. But I also think that this is her most adventurous and best sounding and perhaps even most self-actualized album. Pooja, where's this rank? Yeah, it is very high up there for me. And I think part of it is that you can listen to it front through back without pause and that it's built that way. No skips, no notes. I mean, definitely plenty of notes. <laughs> A few notes. One skip. Um, Some no- notes. <laughs> One skip. <laughs> One skip, but it's at the end. So, you know, just turn it off right then. It is among my favorite. I'll, I'll put it like that. Julian, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Pooja, thanks, thanks for Julian. letting me take over the interview chair for this one. Uh, it's been a really great time. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. Julianne, we gotta go to the club. We gotta go to the club. The Pitchfork Review is a production of Condé Nast. Thanks to Julianne Escobedo-Shepard. You can follow her on Twitter at J-A-W-N-I-T-A. You can also read Julianne's review of Renaissance at pitchfork.com. Catherine Fenelosa at Rococo Punch is our senior producer. James Trout at Rococo Punch is our technical producer. Ryan Domble is our showrunner. Jessica Grimalia is our music supervisor. I'm the editor of Pitchfork, Pooja Patel. Thanks for listening. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired, and I'm co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab, along with Michael Calore. Each week on Gadget Lab, we tackle the biggest questions in the world of technology with reporters from inside the Wired newsroom. We cover everything from personal tech. Because asking people to put a computer on one of the most personal and sensitive parts of your body is just like, it's a big bet. Broader trends in Silicon Valley. There are just so many laid off workers out there that workers just don't have a lot of power. And the exciting and terrifying world of AI. It's inevitable that the internet is going to be filled with like AI generated nonsense. And so he just thinks he might as well make some money playing a small part in a thing that he sees as unstoppable. Wired's Gadget Lab is here to keep you informed and to keep it real. The entire point of the phone should be on some level to hate it. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes of Gadget Lab are available weekly wherever you get your podcasts.